You know, there's all sorts of different kinds of pain. There's all sorts of different kinds of, of suffering. We could probably uh, stand and begin to categorize the different sorts of suffering and pain that, that maybe many of us in this room have been a part of. I know that uh, on a fairly regular basis, there's students that will come into my office, and, and it's not anything physical that they're dealing with. It's not as if they're sick, but there's something mentally that they're, they're walking through. They have a, a lot of anxiety, and, and it doesn't seem like they can, can shake that. It just walks around with them. It's almost like an Eeyore comes and visits their, their dorm room every morning. And sometimes they can walk around just feeling like, thanks for noticing me. And some of you know exactly what that feels like. Some of you, maybe, maybe uh, you have gone to the doctor, and, and the doctor doesn't have great news for you, and you do have something physically, and there is uh, that physical ailment that keeps you from doing what you desperately want to do or who you want to be, and because of that, you, there's just this cloud that seems to be hanging over your life, and you walk, and you're, oh, man. I'm, I'm just bitter. God, why now? Why do I have to do this now? Things were really beginning to, to look better, but not now. I suppose that for all of us, there's a, a categories of suffering, of pain, that if given the opportunity, we could, we could talk about all morning long. If you've ever experienced pain, whether that be emotional pain or mental pain or physical pain, I want you to know this morning that God looks over the overlooked. I want you to know that God does care about you. I want you to know that God hasn't forgotten your pain. That actually, God knows your pain. And that God looks over the overlooked oftentimes by the commitments of his people. We've been in this series now for a couple of weeks, walking through the book of Ruth. And as a people, as a church that has said, hey, we want to help people find and follow Jesus, uh, we want to help people uh, just like Ruth, just like Naomi in a tough spot, in a bitter spot in life uh, where something has happened that's unexpected and maybe you have begun to look at God and you've said, God, where are you in this? And we want to help walk you through so that you can get on the pathway from bitter to better. So that you can begin to understand that God hasn't forgotten you, that He actually looks over those who are often overlooked. And this morning, as we walk again with Ruth and Naomi, and we see a different character in the name of Boaz, I hope that you will see that sometimes when we turn up, God turns out. And that oftentimes, it's pain and it is suffering that gives us a vision to be able to do great ministry. So that you can see what it looks like when God looks over sometimes the overlooked. I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Ruth with me. Ruth is in the Old Testament. 
toward the beginning of your Bible, Joshua, Judges, and then Ruth. There are primary characters in the book of Ruth. One of them is Ruth. I know that's a surprise. But Ruth is the daughter-in-law to Naomi. Just to catch you up on the bitterness that they feel, the experiences that they are having is that their husbands have all died. They're both widows. They went into a foreign land. They were in Moab because of a famine in the land. All of their husbands have died. Now they're heading back to Bethlehem. They're heading back because it seems like God, however He does that, has blessed the land and there is now food back in Bethlehem. The place of bread now has bread to to bake. And they're going back. And, And we talked about Ruth and this incredible commitment that she has made last week And as a daughter-in-law, she has looked at her mother-in-law and she has made a commitment not only to her mother-in-law to stay with her until the day that she dies. In fact, the idea is that she's going to be buried right next to her when she does die. She says, I'm I'm going to have this kind of commitment to you. I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm going to make sure that you're taken care of. And we get a sense that this is in part because she has also made a commitment to God. To the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, she has made a a commitment to Yahweh God. And she has said, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your God will be my God. And it's that commitment that she has to to who God is to say, I'm going to make sure that you're taken care of. And she begins to walk out her faith as she gets to Bethlehem. They get to Bethlehem, and the text says at the end of chapter 1 that it's barley harvest season. It's harvest time. And Ruth begins to walk out her face. She doesn't just say, praise God on Sunday morning. She just doesn't lift her hands and say, I trust you, Lord. No, uh, she lets her faith do some walking as she says to her mother-in-law, I have to go out. I'm going to turn out. I'm going to turn up. So that God will turn out. And she goes and she says, I have to do some gleaning. Read with me in the text, would you? I'm going to begin in chapter 2, in verse 2. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. And Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went, and she entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Now we're going to get to Boaz in a moment, but I want you to hear that sometimes when we turn up, God turns out. Sometimes when we're willing 
uh, to walk into our faith and allow our faith to work for us, uh, God shows up in significant ways and His provision is felt in our life, even though we happen to be going through uh, uh, maybe a bit of a rough patch, maybe a patch where we would say, uh, my name is bitter, uh, maybe where we're saying, I'm, I'm experiencing pain in some fashion. Ruth says, I'm going to go glean. Now here's what gleaning is. In the ancient times, gleaning was kind of like the welfare system. And it was a system put in place by God to try and make sure that anybody who was hungry, anybody who needed food, any who was a foreigner or a widow, the margins of society could come and they could glean the harvest. If you're interested in places where God says this, you can go over to Leviticus chapter 19. I, I know that all of you have been in Leviticus recently. That was a joke. That was a, a joke. Thank, thank you for laughing. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 9, God says to His people, this is what I want you to do. When you reap the harvest of your land, don't reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord. He says, hey, when you're, when you're, when you're going to harvest, hey, uh, make sure that there's a corner. Leave the corner of your field open. Don't harvest that so that other people can come in and eat. And don't go over your field a second time to pick up all the extra little grain because there's people out there and they need food and I want you to provide it for them. When we have a second reading of the law in Deuteronomy chapter 24, he says it again. He says, do not take advantage of a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether that worker is a fellow Israelite or a foreigner residing in one of your own towns. He says earlier on in chapter 24, I hate it when I lose my place. Thank you, thank you. In verse 19, when you're harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, don't go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all of the work of your hands. When you beat the olive trees, don't go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, don't go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt. That is why I command you to do this. And so God has said uh, to anybody who owns ground in an agrarian society, He says, hey, when that time of year comes around, you remember who you used to be. Remember that I provided for you, and I want you as my people to provide for others. And wouldn't you know it? Wouldn't you know it as... Ruth turns up, God turns out. Did you hear those words in, the, in verse 3? Did you hear the words? So she went out and she entered a field and she began to glean behind the harvesters as it turned out. It may be a little bit overused, but 
as it turns out, really means it was a God thing. She ends up in a field that happens to be by a man named Boaz. Now, I don't know if you have ever... Have you ever been around people who are hungry? I mean, I, I don't mean just like... I don't just mean like my son after church, okay? That's not what I mean. I mean like seriously hungry, like we would eat dirt to try and fill our stomach kind of hungry. Have you ever been around someone like that? Remember that there had been a famine in the land of Bethlehem. There are probably some farmers, there are probably some landowners who are not obeying God's law, which means there are fewer fields that have corners for them to glean out of, and there are fewer uh, places where they say gleaners can come and pick up the little pieces of grain that were left over by the harvesters in front of them. Several years ago, I remember that uh, I was in Haiti. And there were some really hungry people. I mean, really hungry. Not like, oh, I need to go to the pantry, kind of hungry. Not, not, I need to go to the Dairy Queen, kind of hungry. Really hungry. And so we were there on a mission trip, and all we had literally was like bread and peanut butter. And we put, I mean, literally, this is kind of sounds crazy, but we that morning, put all sorts of bread and peanut butter. That's all it was. Bread and peanut butter, and we kind of folded the bread in half, and we put as many of those in a big garbage sack as we could. And then we went out to this island where we knew that there were, was an orphanage where kids didn't have food. And we thought, man, this is going to be great. We're going to come. We're going to open up our sack and hand out peanut butter bread. But you know, when people are hungry, they don't get in a nice orderly line. Did you know that? You start handing out food, and what do you think happens? Oh, oh, it was chaos. Everybody wanted some food. There were fists flying and pushing and there was shoving and it was all we could do to try and organize some sort of line to say, you're all going to get some. It's all going to be okay. And Ruth and her commitment to Naomi and to God, and as she turns up, God turns out, uh, when she comes... Right, And she is gleaning. Remember that there had been a famine in the land. Do you think the, reap, the, the gleaners are all really nice people? Do you think there's a nice orderly way? No, uh, you know, I, I got the last one. You have this little stock. Go, go ahead, you know. No. In fact, the history books tell us uh, that gleaning was a very dangerous sort of occupation. If you were poor, and this was your one means of being able to feed yourself, this was something that you did not want to do. It was kind of a survival of the fittest. If you were bigger, if you were stronger, if you could work in teams, this was how you made for yourself. It was, it was a dog-eat-dog -dog world in the gleaning world. And that's the world that this Moabite woman named Ruth enters into. And she says, I'm going to go out there because I made a commitment to you and I made a commitment to God. And she turns up and the Lord says, as it turns out, as it turns out, 
As it turns out, she happens to be in a field with a guy named Boaz. Now, who is this guy? Who is Boaz? Now, here's the crazy part. If we walk through the text together, we recognize that the characters in the story don't really know who this guy is just yet. In chapter 2, verse 1, the narrator of the story says, hey, hey, I just want to give you a sneak peek. I'm going to run the trailer so that you're looking for somebody. He says, look, there's, there's someone named Boaz. Uh, now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing uh, from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And do, do you remember, as it turned out, as it turned out, Verse 3, as it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. What does that tell you? It tells you that there, there is this guy who happens to be related. He's family. He is family to Naomi's husband. As it turned out, God's doing something. It was a God thing, really, that Ruth, uh, keeping her commitment to Naomi and to God, ends up in a field with a guy named Boaz. Now, it says in the text, in that first verse in chapter 2, that Boaz was a man of standing. Scholars have looked over all of this term, and, and you know, this term really is more than just he was an upstanding guy. It was, a, it was a term really used about the kind of character that he had. It was really that he was a man of valor. Uh, some scholars even say, hey, it's possible uh, that, that Boaz is a war hero. Remember, there's been lots of conflicts with the Philistines and the judges. And it's possible that Boaz was a, a big part of any victory that may have been had, and everybody recognizes who this guy is. And here's this foreign woman, and she goes out, she turns out so that God will turn up, or she turns up so that God will turn out, and as it turns out, it's a God thing. She ends up in the very field of some guy who happens to be related to her. And, and he does some crazy stuff. I mean, some of the things that he actually begins to do are, are unfathomable. I mean, Ruth makes this crazy ask. She asks, essentially, hey, can I have special access right behind the harvesters uh, and be able to pick up the grain so that I don't have to fight it out with the gleaners back there? And she is granted access. I want you to hear who Boaz is. Just then, verse 4, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. There's something about this guy. He's high character. He believes in God. He's obviously allowing the gleaners to come into his field. He's a law abider. And Boaz asked the overseer of the harvesters, who does a young woman belong to? And the overseer replies, she's the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather from the sheaves behind the harvester. She's asking something that nobody else asks. She came into the field and has remained here from morning until now, except for a, a short rest in the, 
in the shelter. So Boaz says to Ruth, my daughter, listen, listen to me. I don't want you to go and glean in any, an, another field. and go, Don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. He is raising her status. She's no longer among the gleaners. She's one of the servants. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you, and when, whenever you are thirsty, go and drink from the water jars the men have filled. And I want you to hear... I want you to hear, at mealtime, verse 14, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. And when she sat down the harvesters, with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves, don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. And do not rebuke her. Ruth turns up and God turns out. And God turns out oftentimes through his people. As it turns out, it was a God thing that Ruth happened to come. It's one of those holy instances it's not a coincidence, it's a holy instance. God was there, God was working behind the scenes, and there is Ruth acting in her faith, uh, trying to, to keep her commitment to God and to Naomi, and there she is, and God is providing for her. Hey, I'm going to make sure that you're safe. I'm going to do more than that. I'm going to do something that you could not fathom. I'm not just going to let you glean. I'm not going to just let you be a part of this. I'm going to tell all of my servants that they actually have to begin to serve you. And I'm going to let the foreigner come and eat with the non-foreigner. I'm going to make sure that the poor dine with the rich. I'm going to make sure that the empty are filled. I'm going to make the men serve the women. And there was another man from Bethlehem, and his name wasn't Boaz, but his name was Jesus. And he came establishing something maybe even bigger. Not maybe. He came establishing something bigger. In Galatians, Paul tells us about how God brings people together. When we act in our faith, when we turn up, we have these as-it-turns-out sort of moments. God things begin to happen. In chapter 3 and verse 28 of Galatians, he says there is neither Jew nor Greek Slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And it seems that even before Jesus, Boaz begins to understand the heart of the law. And he says, I'm, I'm going to make sure that you are okay. You see, the letter of the law said you have to put some corners in your field so that people can glean. The spirit of the law was you need to make sure people are fed. And as it turns out, Ruth comes in to a, a man of commitment to the Lord. And God does his thing as people are acting in their faith. God brings it together. Something has, has struck me as I've walked through the book of Ruth, and maybe it strikes you too. 
that sometimes when we're suffering, sometimes when we're experiencing pain, we want God to hop to it, don't we? We want God to do something miraculous. We want God to stop something or begin something. In the book of Ruth, God is showing us that sometimes when, when we show up, when we turn up, God turns out. And that perhaps the miracle, perhaps the thing that he is working on, perhaps the God instance is going to come about because we have begun to act in faith. Because we have trusted in him. And the miracle, while it doesn't happen as snappy as we'd like, God begins to provide through his people. So my question for you this morning is, where is God going to begin to turn up for you? Where are you going to begin to turn up for God? Maybe there's some of you who have had a difficult job situation and you have thought about some pain in a, in a couple of jobs and, and you have been wronged, uh, but you have also had ex experienced some tremendous pain and, and you don't want to turn up so that God can turn out because you're afraid of what might happen. And maybe this week you, you begin to say, I have to do this. I am going to turn up so that God can turn out in my job situation. I'm going to trust that something different happens. Maybe it's a conversation that you've been avoiding with someone uh, that you don't love very much. And, and when you see this person or when you think of this person uh, and the reconcile that needs to happen there, you want to turn and kind of walk on the other side of the street. And perhaps it is that this week, this week is the week that you begin to turn up so that God turns out. And maybe you can say at the end of the week, or maybe in a month from now, or maybe in a year from now, hey, you know what? When I turned up, God turned out. It was a God thing. Maybe it is that you need to begin this week to invest in a church, this church. And you need to invest your time or your effort or your energy or your, your money. And you need to invest in a church Although in the past, you know that there have been churches that have hurt you, but you're going to say, you know what, I'm going to act in this faith, I'm going to step out, and I'm going to, I'm going to turn up so that maybe God will turn out. And maybe in a week, and maybe in a month, and maybe in a year, you're going to look back on that moment and that commitment, and you're going to walk out and go, you know what, it was a God thing. And I realized at the end that God was providing that God through his people was looking over me and I wasn't overlooked. You see, we all have different sorts of pain and we all have uh, different stories to tell, but I bet you all of us could find the strength somewhere in some way to turn up so that God will turn out. There's something that puzzled me this week. Why is Boaz so nice? Have you ever asked that? 
Why is Boaz so nice to, to this foreigner? Now, some people have said over the years that, that Boaz just has a crush on, on this Moabite woman, that maybe she was a good looker, right? That means she was good looking, okay? Maybe he looks at her and goes, wow. Now, I don't think that, I don't think that Boaz is nice to Ruth because she looks nice. It doesn't make any sense. She's a foreigner, for one thing. He kind of knows her story. She, she hasn't been able to bear a son, so that wouldn't be a good fit at all. Uh, because if he's unmarried and, and she's unmarried but hasn't been able to produce an heir, that wouldn't go well for him. So it doesn't make sense for him to think, oh, well, even if she was good looking, that that is a really good prospect. Why is he so nice? I just wonder if it's because sometimes in our pain, sometimes in our heartache, great ministry can happen from that. I wonder if God can begin to use the heartache and the bitterness and the pain that we experience in this world to bring about great ministry. I was reading this week in a book that has just absolutely fascinated me. The book is called The Gospel of Ruth, and I have been walking through this, and uh, it is fascinating. In one little section of that book, she begins to talk about, you know, heartache and pain, and she says, you know what, sometimes, sometimes it takes me trying to view the world through my tears in order to see things that I wouldn't otherwise see. And then I ask myself, why was Boaz so nice? And the answer comes in Matthew chapter 1. In Matthew chapter 1, God does this incredible thing. I know it's a genealogy. I know it's this endless list of people, and you think, eh. But in chapter 1, verse 5, I want you to hear who's present. Solomon, the father of Boaz, same Boaz we're talking about, whose mother was Rahab. You know who Rahab was? She was a foreigner. She was a Canaanite woman, and she was a prostitute. Why is Boaz looking over Ruth the way he is? Why does he look at her and say, I'll provide for you. I will make sure that you have all that you need, because he knows he looked at his mama. His mama was a foreigner in a foreign land. Do you think as a kid there were people that were unkind to her? Do you suppose as a child that Boaz at times was made fun of because his mama happened to be a prostitute and a Canaanite woman? 
Is it possible that God used the pain in his own life and he used what God looked out for him so that he could look out for others? Is it possible that God begins to do great ministry through heartache? You see, God does care about you. God doesn't overlook. No, He looks over. And He looks over Ruth and He looks over Naomi in this through Boaz's own pain, through his own experience. And He looks at this foreign woman in a foreign land and says, I, got, I have to take care of her. As it turns out, she happens to come to His field. Can I just tell you this morning? But there is another man from Bethlehem who wants to see the heartache in your life become great ministry for others. That he can use all of your pain and all of your suffering, all of your experiences to bring about something miraculous and provisional for you and for others. You see, this whole story turns out, it results in an incredible way. It actually turns out with 30 pounds in a to-go box. After she's all done, she's, she's reaped, she's harvested, she's had special privileges. Her mother-in-law comes back. She, she comes back. She's going to her mother-in-law. Ruth, verse 17, gleaned in the field until evening, and she threshed the, threshed the barley that she had gathered, and it amounted to an ephah. An ephah is 30 pounds of grain. 30 pounds. And three, three, she, uh, then she threshed, say she threshed 10 times fast. Then she threshed the barley that she had gathered and it amounted to an ephah and she carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw, saw how much she gleaned and Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. She was satisfied. She had her fill and she had more in a to-go box. Now here's the crazy thing. From the historical records that we have, it wasn't unlike a harvester or a gleaner to have only about two pounds of grain per day. Two pounds. She shows up. God turns out. Boaz uses his experience to look over someone that would otherwise be overlooked. God does his greatest ministry sometimes when we have experienced great pain. And it means 15 times as much. And Naomi comes back, this incredibly bitter woman. She's told everybody, don't call me, don't call me pleasant. Don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. And for the first time in the book, she's happy about something. Check this out. Look at verse 20. The Lord bless him. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing kindness to the living and to the dead. I think Naomi sees herself as dead. That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. We'll talk more about that next week. Wow. Sometimes, when we turn up, God turns out, and sometimes God uses our pain in extraordinary ways in ministry for others that we couldn't possibly imagine, God begins to do something. 
And it might actually begin to transform someone's life from bitter to better. For the first time in the book, she's happy about something. For the first time, she says, wow, God hasn't forgotten me. I don't know how you walked in this morning. I don't know what kind of pain you carried in with you. I don't know what sort of baggage that you have deep inside of you. I don't know if your suffering is mental suffering or emotional suffering or physical suffering. But I hope that you will know that God looks over you and he has not overlooked you. God looks over his people, through his people. He doesn't overlook his people. One of the students that came into my office not that long ago, she was a young woman and she, she was obviously troubled about something. She came in so that she could talk to me about a homework assignment. And as I sat there and we talked, I realized that something wasn't quite right. She said something. I don't even remember what it was, but it triggered me. And I just said, hey, let's put the homework assignment to the side for a moment. Let me talk to you. As we talked, I realized that there, there were some things that she needed to deal with. And so I tried to kind of give her counsel and I prayed with her. And I said, hey, I, I just hope that you have a great day and God bless you. And we prayed together and we got it all, all figured out. I don't know, it was a, a period of time went by, maybe it was a day, maybe it was a week, I don't remember how long the period of time was, and I got an email from her. She said, Mr. Cahill, I don't know if you realize what that time in your office meant. I fully intended to kill myself later that day. I came into your office and you noticed something was wrong. I didn't kill myself that day because you were willing to spend time with me and say a prayer for me. Church, I don't even know what I said. I don't know that I, my prayer was really special. All I had to do was turn up and try and recognize something in her that I'd seen before. And God used that moment so that she could get on the right path. Church, God looks over you. He doesn't overlook you. He cares for you. And believe it or not, your pain can do great things in the lives of other people. Let's pray. Gracious God, we love you. We want to serve you. Lord, will you just continue to teach us again and again about the value of what you're doing in this world? And Father, help us never to forget, never to forget that you look over, that you don't overlook. And Lord, would you use us, would you use your people so that people can know 
that they're not overlooked by you. And Father, even if it means going back into the recesses of our own pain, would you help us to help others know that you look after them? Lord, may we look forward to, as it turns out, moments this week. Help us to look forward to it's a God thing sort of instances this week. And Lord, give us the courage to step out of our own pain and into someone else's that you will use it in incredible ways. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for this wonderful book. Thank you for Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. And Lord, we thank you for another man from Bethlehem. We thank you for Jesus. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.